Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me, as always, is Fred. The world is cold. Better drip your faucets, Moreland. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Just coming up with uh, alternate lyrics for Eddie Kingston's theme song. You know, just thought I'd, you know, the world is cold. Better make sure you have, you know, salt for your sidewalk. The world is cold. This bit isn't very good. The world is cold. You better have a tea kettle. Yeah. world is cold. Bundle up uh, by getting on your blanket and playing Animal Crossing for four hours. The world is cold. Go buy a snowboard. Yeah. Could you imagine Eddie Kingston snowboarding? Eddie Kingston snowboarding reminds me of playing 1080 on... Yeah, that's that's more back in the day. Yeah, he, he would be a great SSX tricky character. Oh, he, he would be a great SSX tricky character. I but even though this chronologically doesn't make any sense, we're starting the campaign to get Eddie Kingston an SSX tricky. Sign our petition. Yeah, I know. Um, it's it's fun. Odie decided so we, um, story time, we bought him this bully make box, which has got like uh, toys for. Is. It's toys for really tough chewers. It's made for okay. like bully breeds. Well, right. Odie's kind of a bully breed, but he's not right. really. But he's a very tough chewer. So we got him one. And then he bit off this piece of like, it's like almost like nylon fabric. It was about two and a half inches long, folded in half. He chewed it off and he swallowed it. So Hell yeah, brother. I know. I can't. Uh, he's pooped out some pretty wild things. And he's never had any issues. So we're going to monitor him and make sure he's okay. But man, this dog, I swear, unless it's like a big hunk of literal plastic, 
that can't be chewed off. You can't trust this dog to chew oh, yeah. any toy. It's nuts. My my in-laws got us a uh a um oh god the, the calendar gimmick but for pet for cat toys. Um and most oh, an advent just, calendar? Yeah, an advent calendar, but nice. cat toys. Uh most of them are just little like stuffed doohickers that like hey, it's candy cane shaped and we printed the candy cane on it gimmicks but there are two just little springs and uh, my cat uh, mavis is obsessed with them and will play fetch with them like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to her um and uh so i would not be shocked if that ends up happening although she always ignores the show like i was up here doing a lot of work yesterday and she kept running in with her damn spring type thing it looks like a slinky only it doesn't slink uh and it's tiny uh it's, other than all those different ways it's exactly like it but she she just kept running in this damn room with it and uh i guarantee she's not gonna pop in here for the next two hours well you know what we're always welcome for a running from the hungry cat because the hungry yeah. dog already borked because uh the amazon guy dropped off our millionth amazon package so i, I swear you know, it's a service the amount of boxes i have that are broken down in this house is astronomical, Fred. Astronomical. Well, sometimes it'd be like that. Uh, okay, listen, I was traveling a lot the past two weeks. Like, when we did the preview show last week, that was like one of the seven hours that I wasn't sleeping or traveling that week, pretty much. So, I know that some extremely dumb stuff with Nick Hausman happened, but I do not have the capacity to summarize it, but I guess we should. Uh, my summary of it right now would just be extremely dumb bullshit that uh, isn't really, uh, like, it's a joke. So, you know, you go ahead. Have fun. Here's here's my summary of it. Nick Hausman lost a lot of credibility. He knew what he was doing, and he acted like a scummer, not a journalist. And well, that's all we're going to say on that. He He's done enough damage to his own credibility. And I'll, I'll be honest, he's not worth talking about. If there are real allegations that surface, uh, then we'll have that conversation. Um, okay. Like, well, here's the thing. These allegations could be real, but they're not being reported. No, he didn't report anything, right? He just was like, oh, man, you know who has NDAs? And it's just like Harvey Weinstein. That's right, Chris Chiarco, who I don't like. And then like presented no evidence that he did anything like Harvey Weinstein. And then he was like, oh, I only meant Harvey Weinstein was a bully. Uh, because, you know, that's famously what people think of Harvey Weinstein for. And, uh, and then on top of all that, um, like, is just like incessantly like, I haven't backed down from... My initial reports, it ruined a pay-per-view match, which, I mean, frankly, the way it worked wasn't very good. But, like, you know, uh, it led to Kylie Ray. I guess we're going to get into this more. Kylie Ray, like, did a heart emoji to a tweet that mentioned the fact that Hausman talked about this. And then a brain genius on Squared Circle, the subreddit, uh, took a screenshot of that and was like, Oh, Kylie Ray appears to collab or to corroborate uh, Nick Hausman's report, which is wrong in a couple ways. He didn't report uh, anything, like exactly. That's the yeah, thing. that was one of the ways it was wrong in, and uh, and so we're just like we just got Nick Hausman trying to weaponize a years old rumor about Kylie Ray that has never been confirmed, uh, and. 
didn't do any reporting to try to confirm it or anything else. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It seems maybe I'm missing something here because, again, I was traveling a lot and, and I wasn't spending uh, Christmas Day arguing with Stephen P. New on uh, Twitter. No. Yet. So, uh, I don't know. This is all dumb. I hate it. It sucks. Uh, Nick Hausman is not very good at being a reporter. So, Yeah, he's really not. And it's extra frustrating because you could easily just do your job and report and ask questions. Yeah, but, you know, he he got famous because CM Punk would pretty obviously give him stuff and then he'd just be his mouthpiece, right? Uh, Yeah. Hold on. RJ City. Dear, I am tweeting at RJ City from our podcast account. This information, thanks in advance. Uh, yeah, there we go. I did it. Yay. Yeah, it's that, that'll go over well. Yeah, to end the Hausman stuff, you can either be a journalist or you can be a tabloid guy. And you can't be both because if you're a journalist, you're reporting facts. You're reporting news. If you're a tabloid guy, you're running with rumors. You cannot do both. That's not how journalism works. You can frame this as as a rumor and then go, like, go research it. But you can't publish unless you are able to fully prove or debunk it. Like, that's... It's journalism 101, and wrestling media needs to go to journalism 101. You have to have the facts before you go to press. You can't. Like, you, it, it's, apparently, it's you one don't. Thing, it's one thing if, like, oh, there's a rumor that Mercedes Monet will debut next Wednesday on Dynamite. Okay, that that's speculation. That's entertainment. Okay, fine. It, but it's not journalism. You, this is sexual assault. This is no, no it's disgusting. Uh, legitimately disgusting. What uh, what Tausman did to yeah, trivialize this. And you know what? It makes things worse for the victim. Yeah, for sure. That that's enough of that. Um, the Hausman stuff can all go eat shit. Let's talk about a company that's back, baby. AEW. Fred, World's End. You know what? You know how I comp for World's End? Hmm. It's like Vengeance 2006. Okay. Yeah, you, you had a few good matches at the top of the card, and Peak Out is great. The rest of it really didn't matter. And by really didn't matter, it was like it was there. It was fine. Nothing was truly offensive. But it was just kind of there and that was one of the worries i had when we started hearing that we were going to get more and more pay-per-views because eventually you're going to have these kind of issues you're going to have situations where you just don't have as many great matches and when you have four pay-per-views a year it's a lot easier to have seven eight nine great matches you can't do that when you run 
what was it? Five pay-per-views in three months? And not to mention two, like a big show in Arthur Ashe and a relatively big show for winter is coming. You can't have like these well-built great matches all the time. And that was one of the issues that WWE had running the 12 pay-per-view calendar cycle. It, you just can't build up enough. And I think we finally saw that come to roost. It was like a six out of 10 pay-per-view, which for AEW is awful considering what their standard is, but it was still good. And I, I'm concerned that this may become more of a habit, a more of a trend moving forward, because I mean, we're not going to get one until revolution. So it's going to be not over two months, but outside of that, like what happens if they go to like a one a month schedule, we're going to see more of this and it, it's just going to have to be a shift in our expectations. Yeah, it, well, you know, I don't know. I actually thought this was on paper. You know, maybe the build wasn't great. And we talked about that last week. But I thought on paper this had the potential to be a uh, a good pay-per-view. Uh, because, look, like, Andrade and Miro uh, on paper looks like a pretty good match. The eight-man tag on paper looks like a pretty good match. Um you know, well, we didn't even get Swerve and Keith. Um, Riho and Tony Storm on paper looks like it could have been a good match. And uh, those all uh, were not good matches for one reason or another. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks to the top three matches, really, in the opener, I thought, on the actual pay-per-view, uh, it turned out to be a... Uh, there's some good stuff on that show for all, and then there were some real, uh, real stinkers. And uh, I don't know that I can. I don't think this is really a case of too many pay per views resulting in a uh, bad show, like as a direct consequence of it. I think it's just as you run more shows, it's likely you're going to have one that just doesn't come together like it should. And this was kind of that. And. You know, we'll get into the different reasons why some of these matches weren't good, I think. But I can't really attribute any of them to just, like, too many shows. I'm not saying that too many shows make bad matches. I'm saying too many shows just won't give you as many higher-end stories and higher-end, like, builds. Just because you're just not going to have the time to be able to build them up, like you were with a four pay-per-view cycle where everything felt like it had outside of maybe one or two matches on like a nine or 10 match card felt like you had a real story going into it and you had a solid build and solid direction where some of the stuff is unavoidable. Like I'm eliminating eight man tag because that was supposed to be a world tag team title match, but then Kenny Omega had diverticulitis. You can't plan for that. They adjusted as best they could. And they made chicken salad out of chicken shit. And especially when you talk about Takeshita versus Darby Allen. Uh, it's more of you just, there could have been a better and more substantial build with some of these matches if they were given that full quarter to really build up during that pay-per-view cycle. That's all I'm saying. Like It's not bad, but it's just not as good as it has been. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, I don't know that's a real problem. Sorry, I just got distracted by the... 
okay, so I've done a thing um, where I uh, I was trying to remember who Excalibur referred to their F5 as the deep sea diverticulitis. And I was thinking it was just Brian Cage, but it turns out it was Kevin Steen prior to that. And now... Uh, and now I found a ringside news story where it is a controversy that Excalibur called it the deep sea diverticulitis because Brock Lesnar had diverticulitis and God forbid referencing. I don't know. Deep sea diverticulitis. I know that's kind of funny. Diverticulitis is not funny. That line is kind of funny. I, I don't get it. Deep sea diver. No, I get that. I don't get the controversy attempt, uh, manufacturing oh. attempt. Like, oh. I don't even... Uh... People have been manufacturing bullshit controversies with this company since its inception. It's just... People suck. Yeah, it's... We live in a stupid, stupid timeline. We really do. Um, and it's getting stupider. Um, oh, oh, did you see Fred? That LimeWire is back. LimeWire's back. LimeWire. Are you excited to get viruses on your computer again? Oh, of course it's crypto uh, or AI, which is more mm-hmm. or less equivalent at this point. Who could have foreseen, etc.? Oh, good lord! Oh my god! I just mm. wish I had Nyquil. <laughs> I know. Wish uh, we'll, I had Nyquil right now. We'll, we'll get you some Robitussin, and then and you can. I don't. I think this is beyond the Tussin. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this show. Yeah. I did not watch Zero Hour. I did not either, because I was told I, I had. I actually had tickets on Saturday night to go watch the Timberwolves take on the Lakers, and I got to see the Wolves beat the Lakers, and I got to see LeBron James play live. For probably the only time in my life. So that was cool. Um, let's. I'll tell you why I didn't watch it because I was with family and acquiring an illness because uh, one of my nephews, who is like two, just like constantly had snot coming down his entire face. So having a good time, y'all. Having a good time. Hey, you know what? Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with being with family. I am. I, I, we spent, I think, 12 days. My in laws were here. And it was, it was a lot. It was a lot, which, which is fine. I like my in laws, but man, having five extra people in this house ends up being a lot. Um, let's talk about. This show, I I loved the opener. Um, Claudio Castagnoli, Brian Danielson, Mark Briscoe, and Daniel Garcia defeated Brody King, JYJ Lethal, and Roosh. It was just a standard like G1 All-Star tag. And they all just did cool shit. I gave Sworn a quarter. It was just fun. You didn't need a story. They're all pissed off that they didn't make the, the block finals. And they want to kick someone's ass. Great stuff. Yeah, I uh, I like this quite a bit, actually. I thought this was a, a promising open to the show. Uh, I had heard that it was kind of a middling show, and 
you know, watch this. And uh, for a moment, I forgot. I was like, all right, we're starting off hot. We're on our way. And uh, I went four flat on this. I thought it was just a lot of fun. Lots of really fun interactions between these guys that uh, is hopefully used going forward. You know, we got a little bit, a little bit of that with uh, Daniel Garcia and Swerve. You know, I guess Swerve wasn't in this match, but they were both C two competitors. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I thought this was like, frankly, uh, this is the kind of stuff AEW should do a little more of. Just like six or eight man tags of like loosely affiliated people to uh, just do cool shit. You know? Yeah. Um, it was revealed after this match, uh, Roosh, I think put it on his Twitter account, um, this Thursday, he tore his hamstring in the second match of the continental classic. And he's likely to miss some time. No idea. Uh, I never could have told, you know? Yeah. Well, it makes sense why it was wrapped. Yeah. But, uh, all best, uh, wishes to Roosh, the locker room leader for a speedy, speedy recovery. The um, ultimate yes, professional. It, it's amazing how different he is in this company versus everyone else. Um, the Redeemer Miro defeats Andrade El Idolo. And this was kind of fun. It was also a little disappointing. They beat the piss out of each other, but it never really hit that next level that this really could have. Uh, CJ Perry um, was just kind of there. I did. I, you, I think you could have had this match without her. Uh, I don't think you could have because he would have yelled at Miro about, is this what you wanted, my infected finger? Yes, we all want to see more pictures of CJ Perry's infected finger, which we're very glad that she's okay. But yes, God, I could it, was, it was an odd moment, odd moment in the match. Um, yeah. uh, you know... I, I get that, you know, the whole point of this basically yeah. was to reunite Miro and CJ while giving a Miro win over uh, the the exiting Andrade. Um, I can't say this match was bad. I thought it was like, you know, in that nebulous good area where I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But if they're like, hey, how is it? I was like, eh, you know, it was all right. Um, it just, I, it just was a big story match, I guess, with uh, the, the drama with CJ and it, uh, Miro and then Andrade being betrayed. But it just never hit a high level of work. And it's kind of an unfortunate thing because these two guys are good. And it, we didn't get a good match. And uh, especially after Andrade, uh, you know, Andrade doing his thing pretty damn well in the C2. Um you know, you we should could have had better, and we should have had better, but here we are. Yeah, I gave it three and a half. Andrade El, El Idolo did announce that he is officially done with his AEW contract. Now, that doesn't mean he won't ever return, but it seems like sure. he is moving on for the time being. Uh, he also lost against Volador Jr. in CMLL. So, and at his... I believe they're married. Uh, his wife, Charlotte Flair, mm-hmm. was front row in Arena Mexico. My guess is he's going back to WWE. He has a great relationship with Triple H, and obviously, significant other works there. And that is something that apparently is a renewed, uh, I don't know what the right word is, a renewed focus to make sure that uh, like 
families can stay together uh, yeah. when they're when they're both wrestlers. Uh, Trinity is likely going back to WWE as well. She's obviously um, I can't remember which Uso she's married to if it's Jimmy or Jay, but she is married to an Uso, and that will obviously be uh, viewed in the same light. So it is apparently Jimmy. So. Well, you had a 50% chance of getting it right, so I just had you yeah. said both. Yeah. Now, is Jimmy uh, the one on Raw that's a babyface or the one on SmackDown that I guess is still a heel? It's main event J. Okay. All right, and, and nobody's bitch Jimmy? I think so. I don't know. I don't watch that company. Hmm. Let's move on to something that feels like it should belong in that company. Timeless Tony Storm with Luther the Butler versus Riho. I will say, I popped hard when uh, Tony Storm was on uh, Luther's shoulders, and yeah, she either she either gave a clothesline to Riho on the apron or kicked her. I thought that was great. It was very fun. Yeah, that was um, a cool spot idea. I, um, kind of th- actually just threw her off the apron to the floor. Um, yeah, I like that. That's a good spot. I didn't like the, most of this match though. It just did not work. It was almost like she was watching her Kofi Kingston Royal Rumble tapes and just decided to try it in this match. And I thought it was really good. Um, outside of that, you're right. Uh, the match was kind of a nothing match. Um, that, and that's what I mean. Like some of these just never hit and disappointing. But look, Time of Sony's your champion, and the story is going to be her versus Mariah May. And when we'll get there, I don't know. Feels like we could get there in two, three weeks. Feels like it could be six to nine months. Um, I think the Trish Stratish, Mickey James story was around six to nine months. So my guess is it'll follow a similar timeline, but you never know with Tony Khan because sometimes it's a really big window that they work with. Sometimes he moves things along faster. We'll find out in time. Yeah, that's the story. And Riho will probably see her in six months. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, because I don't know. I, I think she's typically good. But, man, the, I just went one and a half stars on this. Like, I thought it was below average. Um, it just, I don't know. The Tony Storm shtick's not working for me, obviously. We've talked about that to death. And this was just very much Tony doing shtick. And I didn't think Riho looked particularly great in what she was able to do in this match. So Then we had Lexi Nair backstage interview Dante Martin. And he gets a international title shot on Wednesday's Dynamite, which we will talk about. Um, then Dustin Rhodes versus Swerve Strickland. Obviously, this was supposed to be Keith Lee. It did not happen. Keith Lee was not cleared. Tony Khan said in the post-show presser that he, uh, it was his decision to not have Keith Lee in the match. And he put in Dustin Rhodes. And the match was kind of structured weird because Swerve gets Dustin Rhodes right away. And then Dustin Rhodes comes and works back from behind like a valiant baby face. And then Swerve just wins. Why does Swerve have to struggle with a 54-year-old Dustin Rhodes? Whose ankle he just apparently broke with, I don't know, this word stomp on the, the block. I, I don't get it. This one, this was a weird match to me. Um, 
And like Dustin Rhodes is still good. And I wish that he was getting like some level of a push, you know, and what it was, if I recall correctly, they re- announced early last year that he was entering his last year as a professional, you know, active wrestler. Um, and then he just kind of fell off the face of the earth and uh, Swerve uh, obviously is great. And uh, this did not work. Um, I just, I thought this was a bog standard match. I went two stars on it. Um I will probably unprompted never think about this again. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. It's look, this could have been really good and it just wasn't. Um, now we have the really interesting eight man tag Chris Jericho, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting win to bank Sting 25 and 0 in AEW versus AEW World Tag Champs, Big Bill and Ops of Ricky Starks, and Kenosuke to catch and power House Hobbs from the Don Callis family. This was a fun match, but it was mm. um I, I enjoyed the action. Um okay. but it was overtaken by uh Chance Trish Jericho about NDAs and it was hijacked, but the action in the ring was good. Um it just because of the whole situation with that Nick Houseman started, it unfortunately got taken over by stuff that's uh, was really out of the wrestler's control. And that sucks, but it's just the nature of life these days. Nature of social media and awareness. But I thought the, the in-ring was good. Uh, Ricky Starks took the pin uh, from Daniel Garcia. And I'm curious, they didn't make any mention of it, if Daniel Garcia is going to get a tag team title shot against Ricky Starks and Big Bill. Do you, do you mean Sammy Guevara? Oh yeah, Sammy Guevara. I. It's all right, buddy. I I thought it was Ricky. I thought I thought it was a. Uh, no, it was Sammy Guevara. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Garcia was in the uh, the opener. Um, it's okay. Uh, I just thought this was a sl- really sloppy match. Um, and really weird because of the crowd situation and Jericho obviously being affected by that. I think, uh, like he did not. Uh, kayfabe that well at all and uh i don't know man uh i just was not into this i would flat two stars on it again another me average match um this thing i thought looked about the worst he's ever looked in aw in ring um like he just is starting to show his age i think and he really didn't do anything i mean he kind of what he did like, he, he countered a jumping knee into a Scorpion Deathlock um, from Takeshita, and he botched that a couple times. Um, I got that in my notes. Um, I forget what else, because it's been a few days since I watched it, but, um, like, it just, you know, he looked sloppy, I think, and the other guys looked sloppy in this, too, so... Like, there was a, a sequence with Big Bill and Chris Jericho where uh, Bill uh, took a code breaker, but no soldier then picked up Jericho for an elevated choke and dropped him and then just punched him some. And that looked really kind of messy, apparently. And yeah, I, I don't think, I think a lot of stuff in this match didn't work. So I don't know. I gave it three and a half. I, th- I thought it was, I mean, it wasn't the cleanest, but I thought the action was overall good. 
All right. Maybe I'm just on an island, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, next up, I thought Stunk, uh, Abaddon, and Julia Hart, and thank God we have the house rules gimmick, so biting is allowed. Man. This whole house rules thing, uh, please leave it at home. We're, you know, it's not a bad idea, I reckon, but like, it's never, has there ever been a good one, you know? Like, like a, a match where you're like, ah, they, they knocked out of the park thanks to the, the house rules gimmicks, so. Yeah. I, I was really looking forward to this match. It wasn't very good. Um, there's really not a whole lot more I can say about it. Yeah, I, I thought this was like legitimately bad. Uh, I went three quarter stars on it, or three quarter star. Three fourths of a star, however words work. Uh, I'm struggling, y'all. Um, but like, I just thought this was. Not good. I thought Abaddon leading up to this match had at times looked like a pretty decent brawler, and this was not the case. Uh, this was a really slow-paced match. Um, like, at some point, Abaddon was suplexed to the floor by Julia Hart. Cool spot. And then just, like, laid there forever. And when she tried to re-enter the ring, just got pushed back to the floor. And, like, it was just like, oh my god, we're just doing nothing here. Okay, cool. And then we got uh, the contractually obligated appearance of Ruby. Uh, I'm sorry, of Sky Blue, um, who uh, is also spooky, and uh, that helped Julia Hart win. It's just too spooky. Uh, there's just too much uh, spookiness for this to be good. I guess I don't even think that's really it. But like, I thought Abaddon was given a big, pretty big opportunity here, and I feel like she didn't deliver. And uh, for all the talk about how Julia Hart has improved this year, which or in 2023, which she did, I think uh, this would not exactly be, you know, exhibit A in making that argument. Yeah. Look, Julia Hart's a fucking star, man. I want to see her in the ring with some real workers so she can continue to get better at that aspect because she has grown tenfold as a performer, as a character. And her confidence and charisma is going through the roof, but it's not helping anybody to put a worker that needs improvement with somebody who also needs improvement yeah. in big spots. It does not help people to grow and develop. And we'll talk about it more here in a little bit. Like the addition of Deanna Perazzo, I think is fantastic. Um, there was some tw people on Twitter saying that she was this massive difference maker and others like saying, no, she's not. I think she is, but not necessarily the way you'd think. She brings everybody, like the base level, up a notch. And she's going to be able to deliver both competent, good, and really good matches where working with some of these people is going to be a net positive for everybody. It's going to make the quality of the women's work better. It's going to improve those uh, young workers who just don't have enough experience. It's going to help them raise their game. Like, we need more of that. We need more, more higher-end women's workers in this company that can help with some of these young emerging stars. Like, Take a look at Britt Baker. Britt Baker figured out her character. She figured out her persona, her confidence, 
her uh, ability to talk. She got that ironed out as a worker, massively inconsistent. But when you put her in a big spot with somebody else who can work, think the Thunder Rosa matches, she can go and she can deliver up to that level. But she's also somebody, she's kind of like tofu a little bit. We're depending on what she's careful, working with. Careful, careful. But look, I actually use I actually use it right. MJF can uh can steal somebody so, else's game. If that comes back, Tyler, it's on you. I just want you to know. Look, I have called Britt Baker Tofu before. I've called Ruby Soho Tofu. She wrestles to the level of who she's working with. And that's okay to an extent, but it does not help the young workers because you're not helping them get better. And somebody like Deanna Prazo, I think, is going to be able to do that. So I'd like to see Julia Hart in programs with those women. Get her in a program with Thunder Rosa. Get her in a program with Deanna Prazo. Get her in a program with Riho. Just get her in a program with workers. That's all I want. Get her in programs with really good workers right now. And don't put her in programs with women who are in the same position she is. They need improvement with their work. And... I think that's the biggest hurdle right now with the women's division. And until we get that, it's you're going to have these, these women who hold the title that are, that have everything but the in ring. And that's not an overnight fix, but she's already shown improvement in ring. Now you have to help her take to that next level. And that's going to be by working with better workers. Yeah, and maybe Deanna Parazzo coming in will help with that. Uh, I think she's pretty good. Um, I am not as high on her as you know a couple other people I've seen who I do respect, uh, but like I don't think she's like one of the five best women's wrestlers in the world or anything. Um, but I think she's good. Um, and I gotta say, uh, you know, if the Mercedes Monet thing comes true, like it's rumored to. Rumor to uh, you know, that would obviously only boost it further. And boy, I got to say, 2023 was an awful year for the women's division in AEW. And uh, one can only hope that uh, we will change that or that will improve in, uh, in the, this year. But yeah, I mean, this was just, uh, this was stinky. Uh, probably outside of squashes which i rate low just because they're squashes and there's not much to them like as far as actively bad matches squash it, matches need to be given their own star scale because there are five star squashes that would be like a three-star match overall so I, i'm with you i like to just kind of view them objectively like well who did lance archer squash that one time on AEW television that was just one of the greatest squash matches ever that's a five-star squat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Squ- I mean, squashes can be good in their own way. Uh, but, like, you know, uh, just going back, uh, you know, looking at the bottom of my list from last year, uh, like when – this was pretty late in the year, but when uh, the gun squashed uh, the boys, you know, on that one collision in late October – you know, I didn't think that was a particularly notable. I gave it three quarter stars. But like when I do a worst match of the year list, I'm obviously not going to mention that one because, uh, you know, it wasn't really that, you know, it's not not really what I would consider fitting the criteria. But um, it, it was obviously much better than I think Abaddon and Julia Hart. You know, I would rather watch the mediocre squash than the... Uh, you know, 12-minute pay-per-view match that was not good. 
Um, and looking at my list now, this is probably my fourth or fifth uh, worst match of the year off of what I actually put eyes on. Um, yeah. Disappointing, but that that's why we need to continue to bring in better workers to help these younger talents get better. Because you know what wasn't disappointing? What? To be segueing into Adam Copeland and Christian Cage in a no disqualification match. Listen, I, I, I want to say this because I don't like using a, uh, WWE tropes. I loved Christian Cage screwing over Adam Copeland with the trope of cashing in. It wasn't like a, an actual cash in because they've done like, hey, I have a, a contract or whatever before, but they just bring it out and they, uh, they issue a challenge for like a specific date. Like Doing this to screw over Copeland, considering Copeland was the one who started that whole thing, I thought was cool. I thought ruled and it fit Christian. So every once in a while, those hit and they work but I don't like using them in a vacuum. I just thought that worked so perfectly in this spice with this story that it was phenomenal. And I'm really glad that they did it. Yeah. I, I look, I, I didn't love that. Now I love the, the actual match. I thought that was a lot of fun. I went four flat on it. Um, you know, there was, it was a little slower, but I mean, these guys are up there. So, you know, what can I say? They, they did a, fire table spot you know with edge and his however old he is um how old is edge guess how old edge is i'm sorry adam copeland i should refer to him by his christian name Get is he 53 he's 50 flat okay good old uh uh, born October 30th, 1973 in Orangeville, Ontario, according to the Wikipedias. Uh, very, very, fairly small town. Um, I was looking to see if I could steal anything interesting about Orangeville off of Wikipedia, and I'm not finding anything like rapidly. So, oh, uh, well, um, anyways, um, back on track. Yeah, I thought this match ruled. Uh, I'm going to talk about the match first, and then I'll get to the the air quotes here, second match. Uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. This was the good kind of garbage weapon match uh, that, you know, you'll see at AEW some, like with the, uh, a couple weeks ago with the Diamante and Mercedes Martinez against Willow Nightingale and Chris Statler, Lander Tag. I thought that was another pretty damn fun uh, garbage match. And, um, you know, I like this a lot. There was a lot of nonsense with, uh, you know, there was a bit of nonsense, I should say, with the Waynes. Um, and it all works within, to me, the sense of uh, Christian's gimmick, you know, with the patriarchy and everything. Now, I do have to say that I wasn't hog wild over the, you know, the aftermath where Kill Switch comes in with his contract he won on the Battle Royal that neither of us watched. Um, and, uh, you know, just was persuaded to hand it over to Christian. Um, though that kind of really doesn't make sense. I guess we're going to keep slow burning the the Luchasaurus feels betrothed or beholden, I should say. God, I'm struggling today. To Christian. Um, and then Christian just immediately spears and pins Copeland. 
Uh, you know, in a different set of circumstances, this would have been actively bad. Like if they, if this was the Bertaccio line, you know, I would have like probably freaked out, but it wasn't, it was in a storyline where it didn't bother me. And, uh, I assume it sets up a third match, uh, cause I can't imagine that they're just, you know, eventually I, I can't imagine that they're just going to let that be the end of it. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe an actual TLC match though God knows at their age and with their history of neck issues, maybe we don't do that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the idea. Uh, I don't know that I was necessarily in love with the overall execution, but you know, I'm not going to complain about it. It didn't bother me that much. I went four and a half on this Fred. I thought this was awesome. That's fair. Uh, the story, the interference, um, the flaming table of callback to that WrestleMania 21 spot with McFoley, all just so great. And Copeland almost missed the table with Nick Wayne. Uh, it was very close. Nick, basically, Nick Wayne's lower back and butt were the only thing that got the table, which actually may have been better for Nick Wayne's health because then he wasn't going in, actually into the fire, mm-hmm. but. I thought overall yeah, that was the bad bump, though. Like not getting anything from the table, pretty much was a, a bad time. Um, um. Oh, here's my question. Yeah. When did Luchasaurus become Kill Switch? Was that a pre-show thing, and we just missed it? No, no, that was several weeks ago. I want to say on a collision. Um. Uh. No, I think it might have actually been a dynamite, but it was around. I want to say early-ish November, if my memory is working correctly. Um, I don't remember this, so I, I am a, a wonderful podcast host. That's all right, buddy. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing slab packs from Arena Club. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, you know, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, 
and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I, uh, you know, this is, uh, I've already made it clear that I am not 100% on this show. So I've uh, corrected to, you know, like just using the wrong word, like vocabulary failures. Um, And uh, I'm just hanging in here, just trying to make it through, um, which I'm sure is fantastic audio for everyone. But. You know, what are you going to do? Um, next match. Next match. The AEW, I'm going to call it the Triple Crown match for the Continental Classic Finals. John Moxley versus Eddie Kingston. This rocked. And they just threw absolute bombs yeah. at each other. I love and then this. as they're standing, facing each other, throwing bombs. Eddie Kingston just hits Moxley with a back fist, and it's over. One, two, three. Uh, I thought this was awesome. I don't know how I feel about Eddie Kingston winning. Um, I think it's really cool. I think it's better for the strong in ROH titles that they don't change hands uh, because of this tournament. But Eddie just starting to win all of these things is kind of the against his like what his character is. So I don't know how I feel about that. But it's all about the follow-up. If the follow-up is good, and now Eddie's a made guy, how is he going to handle that? Is he going to crater? Is he going to crumble under the pressure? I think the follow-up is more important than him actually winning. And that's kind of what worries me a little bit because he's always been best as this tortured soul where he just can't. And he can't do this. He can't win the big one. And then he beats Jericho. And then he beats Claudio for the title. And then he wins the triple crown. Where are we going here? Uh, is he actually a made guy? I, I These are the questions I have. Because it's very different than anything else we could have expected. And I'm just fascinated to kind of see what, what this means for him moving forward. Yeah, and what I would, you know, add on here is I've always thought that, like, you should have saved his big singles win. And I get why it was here, because I I totally understand the path it came through with him finally, you know, getting one back on Brian Danielson, who has looked down his nose at him the entire time, and then beating John Moxley, his friend and uh, sometime rival. Uh, That all makes perfect sense to me. I... Still, in a way, wish that his win came like the finally the big win. You know, uh, I'm not talking like when he beat I think Chris Jericho on a pay per view, 
not that level of win, but like the big win should have been for the world championship um, in a Mick Foley-esque angle. Um, like I do think that would have been a huge babyface moment as nice as this was. Um, maybe I'm just, you know, uh, maybe I'm overthinking this a little bit too much. I mean, I did, I, I was, I I'm invested in Eddie Kingston. I'm a get big Eddie Kingston guy. Um, I, you know, and I, I did like this match and I liked the finish of it. I, I have no complaints about that whatsoever. I went four and a half on it as a match, as a emotional thing. Like I thought it was put together very well uh for eddie to finally you know hit that back fist and everything and they structured it well to create a lot of drama and questioning about if he was actually going to win it it just feels like the level is a little low and i'm worried that you know there's this thing tony khan does sometimes where it looks like a guy can be big and then they just never elevate him and it's i think it's kind of happened with orange cassidy uh ever since that pay-per-view main event he had with moxley where you know, he got over by losing and felt like he was uh, poised for bigger things than being the workhorse international champion. And, well, a few months later, look where he is. Um, I think Eddie could be like a legit main eventer, like a real big underdog babyface, like even bigger than he currently is. And I kind of worry that that's not going to ever really be given a chance. And... I feel like that some money is being left on the table there and it's unfortunate. Um, but I mean, we also got something that's pretty good. So, you know, I, I don't know too much what to say. Um, yeah. Follow up. Follow up is going to be big here because yeah. of all the ambiguity with what Eddie, Eddie Kingston is, but Great match. I thought Moxley was great. Uh, I thought Kingston was great. I thought Danielson was great on commentary. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Kingston and, or sorry, uh, Danielson and Moxley here in a little bit because they did wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom 18 this past Thursday morning uh, out in Japan. We'll touch on their matches here, but let's move on to the main event, which is going to transition immediately into the beginning of Dynamite. Samoa Joe is your new AEW heavyweight champion of the world, choking out Maxwell Jacob Friedman in the middle of the ring in a result that we had hoped for, that we had prayed for, that we had begged to happen. And Samoa Joe is now a world champion for the first time since I believe 2008. Fred, how excited are you that Samoa Joe is the new world heavyweight champion? This ruled. Um, like the finish ruled. Um, I thought this was a pretty good match. Uh, I don't think it was nearly as good as their previous one, but I thought it was solid. I went three and three quarter on it. Um, I, I actually like the old school choke out finish, uh, the three arm drop thing. Um and I know that he gets some crap sometimes. And, like, once in a while, he can annoy me. But I, I thought Bryce Remsburg was really good here, actually, uh, where after the third arm dropped, he he kind of paused in astonishment that it had actually happened to kind of help get it over and then called for the bell. And I like that little touch. Um, 
I, I hear like Joe Lanza talk about how he's a little too front and center sometimes. And like, you know, maybe he is, but I'll be honest. I, I like Remsburg's personality being able to show through some, maybe he chills a little bit some and like cuts it down by 25% and it might be better. I don't know, but I, I like having a ref with some kind of a personality. It's nice. Um, uh, as a match, I thought this was pretty good. Um, it got a little, you know, a little kind of... I mean, MJF obviously wasn't at full power here. Uh, somehow he had not fallen apart, like, literally. Like, just laying on the mat at some point. Um, but it was a nice structure. It was, you know, again, kind of... A, you got a little bit of that, like, and I mean this in a good way, the 80s WWF, like, baby face fighting back kind of thing that you would get sometimes with Hogan, only with modern work rate. Um, we got Samoa Joe just, like, taking out the kangaroo kick immediately uh, and being like, no, we're done with this shit. And just having a counter for pretty much all of MJF stuff. Um, and then the second kangaroo kick counter. Um and uh, he had an answer for everything MJF did. Um, MJF had some surprises, uh, like the the F five was pretty cool. Um, and um, I liked it. And uh, you know, I, it's an overdue title change. Um, apparently, this was the plan the entire time. I would have considered audibling a few months earlier just because of how clearly you know how things were falling apart you know with health with everyone and uh how the storyline itself was not working but here we are um and then we got the reveal of the devil as adam cole um not jack perry as i thought it might have been as his big return adam cole makes a lot of sense um can't really knock it i guess although there is a lot of you know, you got a lot to overcome from uh, from all the, the months and months of the Brichacho line that I did not like. But I will say that Dynamite, uh, that was a good first step for me. It was a good first step. And I'll, I'll say this. My favorite spot in the match, the muscle buster to the apron. Oh my god. Was incredible. That's a finish. And like not, not just like a normal finish. That's a that's a go to hell finish. finish right there. Yeah. That's a super finish. Yeah. Um, it, it, it they reminds me it... when Hiromu busted out Time Bomb 2 and dropped Will Ospreay straight on his head at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. That's what that reminded me of. Like the, the, the aura and style of what the move is, not the move itself. Like, yeah. 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 Damn. Um, I, I thought that, um, I think in my notes, Joe like covered pretty shortly after that and only got two. I hope they never do that again. The muscle buster either needs to be like a this is over immediately, like a main event finish kind of thing, or else it's got to be like one of those the guy rolls to the floor and is just too dead to be lifted back into the ring for like long enough to justify getting a foot on the rope or kicking out or something. Um, and uh, I mean, but I in, in general, I appreciated the structure of the match. I had pretty much hit like peak MJF exhaustion. Um, that was a very mixed bag of show, though. Uh, like a five out of ten for me. 
um, just because there's some stuff that was not good. Um, in fact, uh, one of them really bad. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, despite there being some good stuff on here, I don't think there's anything that was even, that was really close to like a match of the year level match. Uh, my best was Kingston and Moxley at four and a half. Um, but nothing that was up in that five neighborhood that I even stopped to think about, like, you know, about possibly being a five-star match. So, yeah, I, I think I went four and a quarter on the match, which is, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. And it's more, it was more about getting to the angle, which you obviously had Adam Cole at ringside the whole match. And then the devil's henchmen come out and start beating up MJF and Adam Cole. And then they're about to hit Adam Cole with a chair and MJF's begging for them to hit him instead. The lights go out and then Adam Cole sitting in the chair, head hunched over and the devil's henchmen reveal themselves as the kingdom who are the ROH world tag team champions, uh, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett, Roderick strong and Wardlow which I thought was interesting, which it may, and it makes complete sense. They revealed themselves on dynamite as the undisputed kingdom, which is just lame as hell. Like, come on. Not a great name. The undisputed era plus the kingdom. I'm surprised you didn't try to put in bullet club, baby, but the name kind of stinks, but it's fine. It's whatever. But then Adam Cole talks about the whole process and he tries to talk like it into being good. And like now that it's done, now it's about how is this going to be good? And I thought what was interesting is everybody's going to chase gold. That's their whole idea of being together. That ROH tag team champions, Roderick Strong's going to chase the international title. Wardlow's going to chase the world title. And when Adam Cole is healthy, he will forfeit it. So Adam Cole can be the world champion. And you got your eventual Wardlow babyface turn right there, right? Hypothetically. Mm -hmm. You could have him win the title, and uh, Cole comes back a couple weeks later from his injury that they've kayfabed at that point, I guess, and uh, be like, all right, lay down. And Wardlow's just like, no, man. You know what uh, they should do? They should do the finger poke of doom spot, and then Wardlow, um, as he's being pinned, picks up Adam Cole and power bombs him like five times. And then that's your baby face turn. Yeah, we, we need, this could be a good, um, you know, a good return to uh, the Batista face turn from evolution. You know, that kind of storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, I'm, I'm doing conjecture here that they'll do a good storyline uh, with Adam Cole in it as a major player, which um, we just kind of had a year where that did not happen. Um but oh boy um yeah i mean i actually i did like this promo i like jay white coming out angry uh, which made a lot of sense uh after he was kind of nonsensically attacked i mean i still don't know why that happened you know i can't really give you any reasonable justification for that and i think adam cole had a good promo here uh as a heel and um I, Jay White coming out as a baby face of sorts worked for me. And look, I I am not 
yeah, I, there's a lot of goodwill to recover with this kind of with the Adam Cole area, but this was the first step. I like this, and it was preceded immediately by that great Samoa Joe promo. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, this this kind of ruled, to be honest. I really enjoyed it. Um, look. Now that we have all this, most of the devil stuff behind us, it's about the follow-up. Mm-hmm. And I think the follow-up could be really good. And I'll tell you, the rest of this show, Fred, gave me hope that it was going to be good. Because this show, it, it was a lot better than feeling. the pay-per-view. It restored the feeling in me. And I am very excited. So now you have all this. You have um, Jay White and the guns attack the um, the devil and his henchmen, the Undisputed Kingdom, because they attack Jay White. And then when they're starting beating up on Jay White and the guns, the acclaimed come out and inadvertently save Bullet Club Gold because they were also attacked by the devil's henchmen by the undisputed kingdom yeah and i thought that worked well too actually um i I think the actual like the the whole lead up to the to the world's end aspect of the storyline like you know it ranged from annoying as hell to nonsensical but i thought this this one segment did its best to make sense you know out of that nonsense and it worked pretty well um at that um and uh yeah uh kudos to aw for putting that together um again arm's length we will see how this goes um if they can maintain this you know that's a whole completely different thing than just one good week but you know it is no longer a comedy infused storyline uh and i mean aw is apparently really bad at comedy because you know we get these comedy characters uh that they've created this past year with uh the bruchacho line which isn't you know there was a lot of attempts at comedy pre-tapes that never had jokes in them that were good and then tony storm and like i don't know i think uh i think they need to uh step away from that but we're kind of beating that to death Yeah, the only comedy that's really worked in this company, Dan Housen. Orange Cassidy to some extent early on. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but like, you know, I don't know. I don't know that he is truly, you know, even early on was a true comedy character. Like they pretty quickly established him as like a, a quirky character with some comedy aspects. But, you know, never. I don't think he was ever like completely full blown. Um comedy i guess um but yeah dan Housen, and that's just like straight from the indies you know that's just him taking his act to AEW. uh so i think maybe tony khan uh is not good at jokes i don't know uh how else to put it but signs are pointing a certain way yeah comedy is not this company's forte and that's okay yeah as we mentioned earlier this dynamite would have an AEW International Championship match. Freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy defeats top flight Dante Martin. This was good. I gave it three and a half, but it also led to 
the return of Private Party, Isaiah yeah. Cassidy, and Mark Quinn is back, and they are putting the tag team division on notice, and we say New Year, New Champs, and that is with Top Flight in the ring. That's with um, Best Friends in the ring. Look. Mentioned the Hardys by name, which was... And the Young Bucks. And the Young Bucks. Uh, the Hardys was interesting because, you know, uh, Zay's been associated with them for so long with Mark Quinn out. Um, though it also is kind of a threat because we might have to see the Hardys wrestle um, in 2024. Um, and, of course, the uh, there was the big upset of by Private Party way back at the start of AEW in the uh, initial tag championship tournament. Um uh, but yeah, um, I you know I thought that promo was solid, not great, but it, you know the circumstances made it a little better than it otherwise would have been. I think you know with the return and everything. Um, so glad he's healthy. Uh, happy to have him back. We'll see how he does in the ring. I think uh, Isaiah has stealthily improved. Because I remember the last couple uh, Zay plus Hardy six men I watched, like he was doing the work for that team, and in particular, his selling is uh, gotten really good. I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm really excited to see what Private Party does because Private Party was kind of brought in as the almost like the the pet project mm-hmm. of the tag division. And Mark Twain's been out for the better part of two years. Mm. So now that he's back, I think this could be really interesting. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Can you remember, let's take a look here, what Mark Quinn's last match was? No. Uh, I was he's... with, it was a, a loss to Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett on the uh, Rampage that aired on December 2nd, 2022. Oh, so he's only been out a year. Yeah, it over feels a like year, a lot longer yeah. than that. Yeah, it was it definitely wasn't two, uh, because they just kind of they were around but really didn't accomplish much in 2022. Um, they're in that weird uh Hardy family office and then Andrade family office storyline that just never really went anywhere, and yeah, um. Yeah. Uh, next match. Uh, going to. Uh, I do want to briefly mention the Swerve and Daniel Garcia promos. Both were very good. I thought. Um, yes. Daniel Garcia did a good promo, and so did Swerve, which is not a surprise at this point. Um, and I think it's pretty apparent that as of right now, they have big plans for Swerve, which they should. Um, I think I started last year's podcasts uh like early 2023 saying that they need to make make swerve a world champion by the end of the year uh they didn't because you know it was the year of mjf but i feel like 2024 is going to be a much more open year i kind of hope it is around that title picture and uh i think it's um i think it's time to get him in that position uh speaking of impressing uh, Mariah May had herself a nice match, but you know the person that I actually was very impressed by uh, and want to see more of was her opponent, Queen Amanada. I thought, you know, I, I thought this was like the worst match on the show, but I'm talking like three stars, so like pretty good. Uh, but I thought Amanada had herself a nice outing, and I would not mind seeing more of her. I thought she was pretty impressive. Mariah was very good too. I'm not like burying her or anything. 
Um, but I was surprised by Aminata. Yeah, uh, I thought she was really impressive. I thought Mariah May was impressive. Um, obviously, Mariah May being six foot one, that makes her a very interesting individual in the ring because she's much taller than most of her um, opponents. Kind of gives me Charlotte Flair vibes in that way. Yeah. Just just in uh, body frame, size, and the athleticism. Now, it's weird. I, I actually think Mariah May might be a cleaner worker than Charlotte Flair. Wouldn't which take is, much at this point. But. I know. Um, impressive to start. This is obviously just kind of an elongated squash. Um, I would love to see Queen Aminata more because I thought she did show a little bit. And yeah. this division could use strengthening in it in the the lower and uh mid card it yeah. really needs that so adding a mariah may was big adding somebody like a queen aminata that you can continue to grow i think would be a great touch as well um look this was all to set up the debut of diana perrazzo which we mentioned earlier and i think it's a big difference maker for what this division is because of everything we talked about and how these young workers need really talented, capable workers to work with. Mm-hmm. And that's what Deanna's going to bring you. I don't think she's going to be a, like a, a humongous ticket mover. I don't think she's going to be a huge merch seller, but she's going to raise the talent level and skill level of this division. And I think that's a huge, 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 huge benefit. And there's a chance she can win the big title. Like she was good to really good in impact. And I yeah. think that can translate here. Yeah, I see her as like that second tier star in the women's division. That right now, that you know, she could easily step up to be a short term champion. Uh, I don't think she'll ever be like the focus of the division. You know, she doesn't strike me as on that Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm level. But right below that, I think you know, um, I've liked her work before. It's just you know, it seems like with Impact, she would have a a great match, and then it would be like two or three months before there was talk about her having yet another great match. Uh, it just wasn't happening on a regular basis. Um, look, if they give her a chance, and if they uh, slot her up smartly, and you know, start using their women's division a little more smartly, uh, you know, this this could be a, a key signing. Uh, at, at worst, it is good second tier depth you know like at that ruby soho when she first came in level of stardom no i agree this is i i think she's a better signing than soho i think yeah she's got a higher ceiling and she's got a doesn't have the floor. doesn't have the name value of it just yet uh of she, well, it's only because she was never in wwe right that exactly watch wrestling have a have a higher in my opinion have a higher opinion of Deanna Prazo than Ruby Soho. Oh yeah. So Soho has always been a uh you know like if she hits 3.5 it's uh one of her better matches of the year. Ruby Soho is tofu. Please stop. Um <laughs> you've done this once you've done this once and you're trying to curse us again. Look I you know what I called Ruby Soho and Britt Baker tofu months ago. So I'm not doing anything different. She works to the level of her opponent. She can have you're, a four-star really, match. I, it's not the she con- can also have the, a one-star match. Uh, you're, you're, you're forgetting why I'm freaked out by this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's you know you, you used it, and then we got a bad MJF promo. And 
look, you keep this up, he's not even going to rehab the injury. He's just going to be right back, and it'll be your fault, and it'll be doing the worst, you know, tofu-centric promo possible. Look, no press is bad press. If we get mm. that, that bad press for it, we're going to need hate listens. Hate but listens we didn't get any press. We just got cursed. It was your fault, Tyler. Your That's fault. Fine. That's fine. All right. Um, we had a Christian and the patriarchy segment that was a big old promo on uh, Copeland, which was pretty good. Um, Called the State of the Union. Yeah. Because, you know, a wedding is a marriage is a union. Uh, and then, well, no, buddy, because we... State of the Union happens in January every year. Well, yes, that too. That is also the reference. Um, but uh, going to ignore the uh, Soraya, Ruby Soho, Carly Cameron thing. Darby Allen and Kanosuke Takeshita. And boy, howdy, buddy. This was our first great Dynamite match of the year. Like, truly great. Uh, Darby Allen apparently still plans on climbing Everest this year and will do this regardless of how many body parts he knocks off bumping around. Uh, dude is Tony Giovanni said he thought he saw a tooth fly out of Darby's mouth. Boy, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole you know the jawline fell out. This guy took some crazy bumps in this match. Um, God bless Darby Allen, god, crazy guy. Uh, this rule, I went four and a half on it. Uh, Same. Just, just is a, a great worker, and Darby, like, he at baseline, he bumps hard, and for this, he bumped, just bumped insane. Just one of his hardest working matches in that sense. And, uh, boy, take it easy a little bit. <laughs> I always worry, uh, Always worry, you know. I don't blame you for worrying because Darby is, and I mean this in the nicest possible way, a psychopath. And he does not care what happens to his body. It's his art. God, is he good at it, man. Um, Like, Takeshita was throwing him around like a rag doll. And in the process of that, they managed to do... Like he threw him over his head, and it looked like he he threw him with a ton of velocity and force. And Darby just lands on his feet, and it's like, what are we doing? This is incredible. And it was a reminder of what dynamite is: wrestling. The Darby tope that got countered by the knee. Uh, Darby uh, died. I did too. And then the uh, super German suplex to set up the finish. Good God. Uh, cool to see Takeshita starting to get a push, like a proper one. Uh, it's nice that Tony Khan has figured out that he needs to actually put the guys in the Callis family in matches where they look good, in addition to having them stand behind on Callis while he cuts promos. Mm-hmm. Um, took a little bit to crack that code, I guess, but yeah, um, this rolled. Highlight of the show. Yes, 1,000 percent um and I then callous to... oh go ahead i want to touch on something that we missed when we talked about christian cage he thanked nick wayne he thanked shana wayne oh uh, this was this, a this bit was good and he uh, uh he's like i want to um uh, also thank the man who made all of this possible and instead of thinking kill switch he thanked himself and he was looking right at kill switch as he was starting to say that you know, planting seeds up. for the kill switch baby face turn yep and 
awesome stuff. Yeah. Uh, Christian is really good. Can't believe he was wasted for so long. Ah, Christian rules. Just imagine how much better he'd be with a blue dot over his face, though. I mean, (laughs) unrelated news. Kevin Dunn retired, finally. Um, Next match. Uh, We had a four-way to determine the next challenger for Eddie Kingston. I guess the first challenger, technically. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was a little bit of a fire pro uh, random button match here with Brian Cage against Brian Keith against Trent Beretta and uh, Hijo Del Vikingo, which is a crazy collection of names. But this was pretty fun. Um, It went three and a half. You know, it just didn't quite have the structure to be a truly great match. But it it was good fun, I thought. I thought it was hilarious when uh, Vikingo did the moonsault off the top rope to the floor and he hits Brian Cage and almost like bounces off him and Cage has to just then take the bump yeah. instead of it being fluid because Vikingo weighs 161 pounds. Um, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I like Brian Keith a lot and I'm really excited that he's um, supposedly, uh, and I use air quotes, signed. Yeah. Um, that That's kind of the... I think the speculation is that he's on one of those like sub graphic deals, you know, where like it's a kind of a exclusive paper appearance as far as like the major companies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I wish they would upgrade that. And this was, I mean, he had a nice outing here. Uh, I think he showed that he's definitely worthy of a spot. So it wouldn't shock me if you had a full fledged deal. They just don't want to give him the graphic yet until yeah. they're ready to like actually give him a some form of push. Yeah, which and, and give him the first before. big win. Yeah, they've done that for Wardlow didn't get a graphic for two and a half years. He yeah, good storyline reason for that, but yeah. No, yeah, but I, I'm fine with the waiting on the graphic if you're waiting for a purpose. Yeah, no problem. Speaking of waiting, I've been waiting for this for a little bit. We got the return of Angry Hangman Page, the best oh Hangman Page. Well, let's let's do this. Um, let's talk about the main event, and then we'll kind of go into everything. Um, Swerve Strickland with Prince Nana versus Daniel Garcia. Um, good wrestling match, yeah. but the one part that stood out for me wasn't even the wrestling. Daniel Garcia faced off with Nana and they danced at each other, which that we know the whole story. With Daniel Garcia is he's struggling between being a wrestler and being a true entertainer and trying to grasp how to kind of maneuver with those things. So like the match was good. I gave it three and three quarters, just a really good wrestling match between two um, it would have gone four stars, but the botch on the table where they yeah, fell that was off unfortunate. Trying, to, trying to do the um, uh, Daniel Garcia's, uh, what is it? The Dragon Tamer. He, he calls it Dragon Tamer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, that took it down a notch for me. But really that didn't that. hurt it too much for me just because it felt dangerous and like in a way that kind of accented the action. Um, it obviously was a botch. It wasn't great, but I it didn't. It wasn't one of those high level botches where you're like, you know, kind of taken out of the the deal. Um, it felt like something that would happen in the fight if you were like crazy enough to put a guy on a table and then try to lock him in a sharpshooter. Um, like you just would fall off some at some point, and uh, I don't know. That worked for me to some extent. I also like that you know you mentioned the dancing. Uh, it did not distract Daniel Garcia. Swerve tried to do a sneak attack on him uh, coming off that, and Garcia caught him coming. And I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, good match. Now let's talk mm-hmm. about the Hangman Page stuff. Before the match, um, 
I can't remember. It was, I think it was Renee starts yeah, interviewing it was. Daddy Magic. Uh, yep, they were backstage alone, just talking, yep. doing an interview. Coming to ringside to do commentary for the match, and Hangman Page comes in just pissed off. Now he's just going to kick anybody's ass. Maybe Daddy Magic's. And because he got jumped by the devil and thrown through a car windshield. And let's then, go. He comes out and confronts Swerve Strickland at the end of the match. And Swerve's just like, he's got that smile on his face. Like, all right, here we fucking go. Let's do this. And then they just start throwing bombs at each other. Yes. I don't know where this is finishing because they've already done Texas death. But this could be a new stipulation to finish off. You know what I would love? Hmm. The Lucha Underground gimmick, the the three stages of hell. That would be I, awesome. I can't remember what they called in the Lucha Underground, but if you've never seen it, YouTube. Three stages Killshot, of death, was it? Or something like that? Killshot versus Dante Fox. Yeah, I still need to AR watch Fox. that. Phenomenal. Um, just phenomenal stuff. Let me Let me look it up. Hell of War. It, three stages of hell. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's on daily motion. Um I it's on uh YouTube too. You just gotta Google or Google it and you'll be able to Yeah, I just need that. time. Just need time. It's twenty seven minutes, man. It's not much. It's oh no, it's time. it's you do know how many matches I, I rated for twenty twenty three. I made it oh. over this week. I made it over the 1600 match threshold. Good for you. Now go watch this match. Yeah, I need to watch this match. Yeah, there's yes. a lot of older stuff I really need to. But Well, it, you should watch this match. This would be a good match of the week for uh, Joan Rich because yeah. I think this could really be what ends up the the stipulation for their the finish of the trilogy. But I recommend you go watch it because I think it's going to matter in the course of this story. Yeah. Well, um that was the was show. Fun. It was a nice was... pull apart. Yeah. And I liked it. It was a good finish to the show. Went eight, eight out of ten on the eight, dynamite. Same here. Eight out of ten. Uh, I this this restored the feeling in dynamite. This felt like a dynamite. Um, but yeah. before we go, we got to talk about Wrestle Kingdom. Fred, did you watch Wrestle Kingdom yet? I have not yet because previously mentioned ill this week. Uh, barely got Dynamite done. Um, I thought about watching uh, Wrestle Kingdom last night, and then I went to bed. So at like eight thirty. So I have watched the Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm halfway through New Year's Dash. Look, Wrestle Kingdom for AEW involvement. Go out of your way to watch the three way with Will Osprey, John Moxley, and David Finley. Going into the match, why the hell is David Finley in here? But I'll tell you, they worked it really well. It was didn't feel like a standard three-way. It was very, very well put together and done. Cannot recommend that enough. Same with uh, Kazuchi Okada versus Brian Danielson. Awesome. Awesome stuff. I went 4.5 plus on three-way, 4.5 on Okada and Danielson. Look, the card is a, a good watch throughout. But if you're gonna if you're gonna cherry pick, mm-hmm. um, I'd say the last five or six matches, uh, starting with the uh, never title Shingo Takagi versus Tamatanga. Yes, I'm recommending it. Very good. They had a start pretty damn good match uh, 2023 as well. So, I mean, Shingo rules. So, get Shingo and AEW run. Just 
have them come over here and just wrestle. Just be yeah. cool. Yeah, but no, that I wanted to at least touch on it because it did have AEW involvement. Um, at New Year Dash, apparently, uh, Moxley and Danielson did team with Kazuchika Okada. Uh, I don't know what the rest of that match looked like, but that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, Tom Ishii was the uh, the fourth man, and uh, TMDK, I think, was the opposing foursome, which sounds like a fun, uh, kind of wacky match. Um, New, Year, New Year Dash is the best, but yep. that's our show, Fred. Uh, I know I got to ask you if you watched the match. I didn't watch it, so I don't have a good Ooh. payoff here. But uh, did you watch the the much Bollywood uh, Kota Ibushi Noah main event? Because no, no, you didn't. Apparently, it's one of the worst matches ever, according to Cage Match. Um, I'm just gonna trust Cage Match. I I just don't have any interest in watching Ibushi uh, look like he's literally dead in a wrestling match. It's, yeah, it's uh, apparently really bad. If you somehow have not heard that, um, let me just pull it up here uh, on the Coda on the I'm sorry Cage Match 50 worst matches of all time. It's still hanging on there. It is up to 47th, only the 47th worst match ever. Um, at 0. 0.75. Uh, that is, uh, I guess, fractions of a uh, hundredth uh, better than Seth Rollins versus The Fiend. Um, and uh, just edging out as worse, uh, the Sting versus Vampiro Human Torch match from the 2000 Great American Bash. So That's a bad match I need to, I need to seek out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, apparently he just could not move, uh, couldn't really stand. So apparently he had a uh, broken ankle. Yeah, uh, might have been two. Am I mistaken in that? It's very possible. I don't know, but whoever let him go out there, boo. Yeah. Uh, four people have given this as a uh, the highest rating on this, which was uh, four out of ten. And just from the little bit I've heard about it, that seems overly kind. But hey, um, a couple of news notes before we go, just to do them real quick. Uh, Sean Spears and QT Marshall have both left AEW due to contract expiry. Uh, Serena Deeb is being hyped for a return. And uh, extremely randomly, Scotty Too Hottie worked a dark match prior to Dynamite on the last, uh, last one of December, which uh, will it lead anywhere? Eh, probably not, but. I mean, come on, it's got to be hot. We're going to mention it. So that's what that's, and they got the music. They got they the, got the cool music. music. So that that's just fun for the live crowd. And it wouldn't shock me if that's part of their strategy going into some of these markets by giving you a dark match surprise so you can be more enticed to buy a ticket because they need to try and do something to get more people in the building because obviously they raise ticket prices a lot. And the, Last year storylines hasn't helped that much, mm-hmm. but having a dark match surprise, like oh, you might get to see someone like Scotty Too Hotty, which it, it's cool. It, it's nothing special, and you don't expect anything from a dark match. Dark match is usually just a couple people going in there wrestling for six minutes. Yeah, but if you get Scotty Too Hotty with the music wrestling for six minutes, it's a hell of a lot more fun. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, that is our show. Yep, that's it. Uh, I hope you all had a great New Year. I uh, hope none of you got the creeping crud from a uh, a critter that you're related to. And I uh, hope you all have a great week. Uh, Tyler, 
on-air production meeting real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to do a little. Uh, going to do a little. Good, bad, hungry awards. I think I'm going to put something together this weekend, and uh, we'll send it out for uh, the tens and tens of, of fans. There are dozens of us, dozens uh, to vote on it. So, uh, give me a little time to not have sore ribs, and uh, I will. I will uh, get that out, and it should be fun. Yeah, and we'll go over that here at some point by the end of the month, depending on how long we want to keep that ballot open. But make sure if you want to contact us, email us at hungrypot at gmail.com, at Twitter at goodbadhungy, or in the Voices of Wrestling Discord server. Um, Five stars. Like, comment, subscribe, all the fun things. It helps us grow, and it's free. You don't have, It doesn't cost you any money, which is the best part. And thank you very much for listening. Adios. Goodbye. Sayonara. Enjoy your weekend. Bye. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.